The primary purpose of the matter over mind experience is to educate. It doesn't constitute advice or services. Before making any changes, please consult a medical or dietary professional. Nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So, take a seat and enjoy the ride. Welcome to another episode of the Matter Over Mind Experience. I'm your host, master trainer, and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today, I have the authors of The Invisible Machine, Dr. Eugene Lipov and Jamie Mustard. If you like hot dogs, mustard on hot dogs, right? <laughs> there we go. So, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about today, mainly about trauma and PTSD, or you may say PTSI. This book breaks down some really good information about stress and the things that we go through. I'm an influencer. Everybody knows that I am. And a lot of times I'm on Instagram and I see people say self-care and, you know, breath work and those things that we, you know, that are important for, for mental and physical health. But really, most people who've experienced trauma in their lives have signs of PTSD or PTSI and repairing that goes beyond just breath work and meditation. And these are some of the things that we're going to talk about today. In fact, they have the dual sympathetic reset procedure, which can be very helpful for people who are experiencing these symptoms. And we're going to have a hack of the episode, which is going to be how do they address the concerns and the safety of this program? So stick around and get ready for one of the most powerful episodes that I'm going to record. And with that being said, let's welcome my guest to the show. Hey, how are we doing today? Hey, thanks for having us. Zico. This is, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm really, truly ready for this episode. Let's talk about this. But before we do that, I'm interested in the name of the book. The Invisible Machine. What what was the what's the purpose behind it? Can I give my answer and then I'll turn it over to uh, the doctor? Lay it on us. Lay it on us. Uh, basically, when we were starting to write the book, one of the one of the examples that Eugene, Doctor Libot, the inventor of the dual sympathetic reset, who's with us today, my co-author, uh, the examples he often gives uh, for what happens to our nervous system, the biological damage that happens to our nervous system uh, when we experience trauma or carry chronic stress, it's, it's equivalent to a broken leg you can't see. And Eugene always says you wouldn't ask somebody to snap out of a broken leg or no one has broken leg disorder. Okay. Uh, So it's very stigmatizing when you have a biological injury and people are telling you that you have a disorder. So um, there is a mechanism in the body where the sympathetic nervous system gets stuck on, it gets stuck in fight or flight. And the only way that you can, you can do yoga, psilocybin, there's all these incredible therapies out there, talk therapy, all these incredible things that work, but you're still doing all those therapies over the, with with the equivalent of a broken leg. There's 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 a machine in our body that's like a broken leg that breaks from stress and trauma that you don't see. It's an invisible machine. And the dual sympathetic reset uh, resets the the broken leg so that when you do all these other therapies, they're far more effective and and your it it basically reboots your sympathetic nervous system so that you're um, not uh, stuck in fight or flight. Um, that's my answer. Yes, Doctor Lipa, <laughs> how are you? So, I, I think you stole most of my thunder, but um, okay. I, I I like giving a direct answer, right? So invisible machine is a term that Jamie and I came up with for sympathetic system. Sympathetic system is fight and flight. It's pretty much invisible unless you have microscopes and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's everywhere. So if you think about it, when if you're frightened, 
and your hands go cold is because sympathetic system is overactive and there's not enough blood flow. So your hands go cold. So what what I found or interesting set of circumstance and years of research is actually there are fight and flight hobs in the neck. It's called sympathetic ganglia. So if you put local anesthetic on that, that seems to get reset in a sense that, as Jamie said, we're resetting the system to pre-trauma state. So this is something that people like myself, anesthesiologists, pain physicians, have been doing since 1925. But the innovation was, A, to figure out that it works for PTSD or PTSI, and we'll get on that term in a second. But the other part is when you do it at two level, it seems to be more effective. Like I if, see. Go ahead. Sorry, so go then, ahead. Yes, sir. Because I was thinking as you were talking, both of you were talking, it's like you're saying, if, it's like if I had a broken leg and I said, you know what, let's rub some... Um, some icy hot on it or something, right? Leaving the, you're trying to alleviate some of the, maybe the quote unquote pain, but you're not if affecting the issue. I know that's a lot different because if you have a broken leg, you really have to go to the hospital. No, but no, but you really, I mean, it's not so, so different. Jamie, if you don't mind, let, let, let me take that one on. So in fact, I'm, I'm, we're trying to do a PSA in that right now, public service announcement. So if you look at, and we do a lot of work with military and non-military personnel, but if you think about it, if you, somebody comes in, and they're limping, right? I used to be an ER doc. You take an x-ray and it's broken. You go to the patient, you go, you have a broken leg. They go, okay, where is my cast? Right? So that that's simple. You, you don't have a broken leg disorder, meaning you don't know what it is. It's kind of hurts, but we don't know what's going on. Right? So in PTSD, people a lot of times call it the invisible wound. So my answer to that, it's invisible if you have the wrong scanner. In a modern age, we got advanced scanners like functional MRI and PET scans, so you can actually see it. So if somebody has PTSD, what happens is, or PTSI, fight and flight system with an invisible machine gets overactivated, gets stuck in a sense that it overactivates the amygdala, which controls, it's part of the brain that controls PTSD, PTSI. And if it was sufficient uh, enough of a stress, enough times or sufficient intensity, it gets stuck like that. But what's cool about modern scanners, you can actually see that. So I think it's very important to change thinking of everybody involved, hopefully globally, that PTSI is a real thing. You can actually see it on the scanner. And if it's real, just like a broken leg, you can do something. Instead of putting a cast on, we can do an injection the next biological treatment. It's not like you have to talk about it forever. You can actually do something. You could change it. And what we find, people who have done psychotherapy for 10, 20 years, they can't get past it because they get overactivated. They cannot handle it. And then when we do the procedure, the body comes down, and now you're available to do this therapy. Yeah, well, let's, you know, let's take it back a little bit. You know, uh, the guy that does the forward to our book is a very famous psychiatrist named Frank Ockberg. And he was the guy that defined Stockholm Syndrome for the FBI in the 70s. And then in 2012, he, along with another doctor, came up with the term post-traumatic stress injury to replace post-traumatic stress disorder. Because as as Dr. Lipoff was saying, uh, we now know that it is a physical injury to the body and you can see it on a brain scan. Um, So that guy in 1970 wrote a book with a bunch of Stanford doctors called uh, Violence and the Struggle for Existence. Okay, and the Credit Scott King, uh, Martin Luther King's wife, did the forward to that book because it was two years after he was assassinated. And there's a chapter in that book uh, called um, "Biology and Aggression," where these do- where, where Dr. Ockberg, who's now a colleague of Eugene's, um, says we know that trauma is biological, and the reason we know is if you traumatize a goat, a cat, a chicken, a dog, <laughs> any sort of animal, if you beat it and traumatize it, it changes. It either gets really, really timid or really, really aggressive. So they knew back in 1970 uh, or before uh, that it was a bio, that it was a biological wound and not some sort of mental disorder. Um, and then when Eugene was doing research uh, around 20 years ago, maybe a little over 20 years ago, he stumbled across or found the sympathetic system and figured out a way using a shot that had been developed, reconfiguring a shot that had been developed in 1925 to reset the sympathetic nervous system to the pre-trauma state. And when you do that, 
in 90, 85% to 90% of the cases, most of the symptoms of trauma vanish. I did it. They vanished for me. And the, and this, the most common symptoms you would see are anxiety, mild paranoia, sense of doom, hypervigilance, hyperarousal, lack of sleep, hair trigger. And what do all those things have in common? Those are things that you would experience if a tiger was chasing you. But then if the tiger goes away, five hours later, you come back to baseline. Well, when trauma is too overwhelming or you carry stress for too long, the system, when, it, when this system gets over aroused, it gets stuck up, right? And, and the only way to bring that down is with a dual sympathetic reset. Yoga won't do it. Psilocybin won't do it. Ketamine won't do it. It is so that again, we're back to the invisible machine. It is a broken leg that you can't see. And, and think about it like the last thing I'll say is when you in the middle, the, the ex, most extreme symptoms of that of, of running from a tiger, if you if a tiger was chasing you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, if you were having to deal with that all the time, eventually you wouldn't want to live. Those moments where we think we're going to die, those moments last seconds, maybe minutes. But so if you are experiencing that feeling all the time because your sympathetic system is stuck um, on fight or flight, you're not going to want to live. So the ultimate form of fight or flight, say in the military, um, would be uh, the, where they're trained to protect. The ultimate form of flight is suicide. And then in the neighborhoods where I grew up, where life can be cheap, and it's okay, and violence can be okay. The ultimate form of fight is homicide. So this system can be stuck up, and you can have, say, a police officer has this because he's got the stress of being a first responder and dealing with stress every day. So he's likely most police officers that are on the front line likely have this broken leg you can't see. And if you grow up with the weight of or the crush of inner city poverty, that's likely going to put, like I did, it's likely going to push this system and get it stuck on fight or flight. So then you have an interaction between two people that are stuck in fight or flight, a police officer and say it's a it's a traffic infraction and a kid that grows up uh, in the neighborhood. OK, now it's a perfectly innocent traffic infraction. But this gangle of nerves, the sympathetic system uh, in their neck is lying to their brains, telling them that this very routine situation is a life or death situation. And that's when havoc ensues. You know, Jamie. I think you should be hosting this show because I uh, I was just about to ask about clarifying PTSD versus PTSI because we kept throwing those terms around. But my audience is probably like, what are these guys talking about? So thank you so much for really breaking that down. Somebody, so people really have an understanding of why we are using the term PTSI instead of just PTSD. So thank you so much for that. Eugene, maybe you could comment on this, but we only use PTSD because that's the term that people recognize. Then the moment we people understand what we're talking about. We like to explain there really isn't PTSD there. Dr. Ockberg is trying to get the name changed in 2012, since 2012. It really is a post-traumatic stress injury. It is a biological injury. You have an injury. That injury can be reset. Um, and uh, um, so, Gene, do, do you want to talk about that? Just Yeah, okay. if you give me a second. All right, all right. <laughs> all right. Well, the, well, first of all, the reason Dr. Ogber, who I, I'm extremely proud to call him my friend, has been trying to change the term is that he believes, and actually we have some data now to prove it, that if you can change the name PTSD to PTSI, a lot of the stigma associated with PTSD will go away. If the stigma goes away, it will save lives. People will get treated more. And they go, you know, if you think about it, that's why we're trying to normalize the term that it's not all in your head, so to speak, because then you can go see a doctor. You can get the first part is admitting you have a problem. If you don't admit you have a problem, how are you going to get treated? And then when you lose hope, my mother killed herself because she lost hope. Right. So if you have no hope, your chance of suicide is much higher. And the bio biology of what's going on with invisible system or sympathetic system it just pushes you to feel down all the time and be afraid. So Dr. Agbert, since he's a very high power psychiatrist, have went, have gone to APA, American Psychiatric Association, and tried to change the name PTSD to PTSI in DSM-5, which is the Bible of psychiatrists. They listened to it politely and ignored it. 
So what we're trying to do, we're not just throwing new terms around. That That's kind of important to remember. Again, this is Dr. Ogberg. I'm just following on his footsteps. It makes perfect sense to me because I look at things biologically. Because if you don't think it biologically, why would the numbing up fight and flight system do anything? That would make no sense. And what we're trying to do, we're trying to change the narrative. We would like to get people to start using the term PTSI. The reason we use term PTSD, because in zeitgeist, as Jamie would like to say, that's what people use. I mean, you, you can't, I can't just come up with a term and not define it. And people need to understand what that means. When you say PTSD, the good thing is people know there's something going on emotionally and mentally. The bad thing is, I think... That term was introduced in 1980, and it has not been changed. What people don't remember, though, is the first term that described PTSD in the modern era was during Civil War. The, they called it soldier's heart. And basically, they didn't say it's disorder of some sort. They said, here's what happens. Trauma happens. In Civil War, I mean, there's a lot of people died in the horrible war. And then they would look faint. They had face that didn't move. They had palpitations. They basically described it biologically. They didn't have fancy scanners, but they tried to describe it biologically. So that, then, that's why it's important. And then even in World War One, I, I think they called it shell shock, right? Correct. And then battle fatigue, World War II, then Vietnam syndrome during Vietnam, shockingly. And then DSM-3 came up with the term. DSM has a very interesting history. If you look at DSM-2, being gay or homosexual was a mental disorder. So, you know, keep in mind, DSM has a very interesting history. That's the diagnostical, what manual? It's the main thing that they use to describe psychiatric disorders. It's a diagnostic statistical manual. DSM. Yeah. Okay, so the, basically what we're saying is we use PTSD, so you don't know what we're talking about. But PTSD really doesn't exist. Right. PTSD is a physical injury to the body that you can see. If you have an overactive sympathetic nervous system and I scan your brain with an fMRI, we're, I'm going to see overactivity in the amygdala. I'm probably going to see decreased blood flow to the frontal cortex, Eugene. Yeah. In many cases. Essentially. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and then Eugene can do this sympathetic reset. Your sympathetic nervous system is in your neck. He can turn it off and turn it back on, which only takes a few minutes. Uh, and when it comes back on, if we scanned your brain the next day, all that overactivity that we see on the fMRI goes away. So it's an injury. It is a biological injury. Uh, Dr. Lipov is, is uh, very humble about what this means for the world. Um, I believe that it is the most important medical innovation since the discovery of penicillin. I think 40 to 50% of the U.S. and global population have this tripped in their body. 10%, you know, 8 to 10% of people are, are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Um, but one of the primary causes of this is carrying allostatic load, carrying chronic stress, which our modern world puts on us in a way that we're not evolutionarily prepared for. So I believe that a massive swath of, uh, like I said, 40 to 50% of the population, in my opinion, uh, it doesn't even, has this trip in their bodies, experiencing the symptoms I named earlier, doesn't associate themselves with trauma. They go, oh, that's for a Navy SEAL. That's for a first responder. I'm fine. You can get this from not having your emotional needs uh, met as a child. You can get this from a distant father. Anything that puts what's called allostatic load on you, chronic heavy stress will get this system stuck in fight or flight, and you will have all these mild symptoms. So, I don't like to say this. I'm sure Eugene will want to comment, but if you think about it, there's probably, you know, this, the, 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 the anxiety, paranoia, sense of doom, hypervigilance, hyperarousal, hair trigger, lack of sleep, suicidal ideation, home, violent ideation. I mean, this is responsible for so many of the psychiatric, um, ailments that we're treating people with pharmaceuticals that are masking it. You know, Dr. Daniel Amen, a very famous psychiatrist, says when you decide to drug somebody, um, often what you're doing is to solve a problem, you're creating a problem because with that psychotropic, you're changing the brain. So with the dual sympathetic reset, um, you can actually like rather than you're actually resetting the leg and then you're not masking it, you're getting to the heart of it, you're not dependent on drugs. So there, there's a lot of um, very the medical establishment is steeped in. Uh, a certain way of doing things. The DSM is steeped in a way, a certain way of doing things. 
And um, in fact, there was a Nobel laureate from the 1940s, a guy named Max Planck, who won the Nobel Prize in physics, that said that medical innovation is one in funerals. You have to wait for um, your uh, opponents to die. And then, you know, at some point, Eugene, you should tell Zico about Semmelweis. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's my story. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah. powerful. And I have some stuff to really talk about because sure. I've, I haven't told a lot of my audience this. I probably only maybe mentioned it once or twice on the show. But we're talking about is Jamie and um, Eugene prior to the episode. Right. That I had my struggles with suicide. And, you know, a lot of that came down to feeling um, disconnected. And a lot of it came down where I was constantly under stress. You know, I constantly felt like I, I just felt like everything I did, there was something wrong. There's nothing I could do to fix it. And what kept me around was, and we talk about this and you can elaborate on this, was connection. And like, Eugene, you mentioned that uh, even not just connection with people, but connection with nature and connection with animals can really help you as well. Because when we lose that hope, when we feel like, you know, there's no other reason to really be around, it becomes extremely, extremely challenging. But I like the fact that you connect also the physical aspect, right? The biological aspect. Because I want to talk about this from a different angle as well. I know we're not talking about ADD or ADHD, but a lot of mental, I guess you want to say, quote unquote disorders, right? Are also connected to the gut. They're also connected to our immune um, our immune system or um, our nervous system, right? Which we don't tend to realize. There's certain, and the book even talked about it, certain, having certain gut bacteria, helps you with your mental health and your mental state as well. And, you know, I'm not getting to all that. You can check out the book, give it a read and learn a whole lot more about it. But they're not the only um, doctors who are talking about this topic from the physical standpoint. That's why the show is called The Matter Over Mind Experience. It's to help people understand that we can't always meditate our troubles away, even if they're emotional, physical, um, um, mental, so on and so forth. We have to make physical changes. There are things we have to do. What are the physical things we're talking about this episode? Our nervous system, right? So with that being said, though, I want to talk about, because, you know, a lot of times we talk about meditation. What do we focus on? We do focus on our nervous system. We talk about our autonomic nervous system, which we taught, which is our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous system. But even more importantly, we talk about vagal tone. So let's talk about the dual sympathetic reset procedure, right? Is that connected to um, our vagal tone? Yes, sir. Um, oh, I want to say that I'm not a doctor and the doctor should answer this one. <laughs> you referred to us me as you said the doctors. I'm an artist that wrote a book with a very prominent doctor. Very uh, but, so, fair yeah, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, over to you, Eugene. Okay. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so I have another amazing friend. This journey has started for me 18 years ago. So I met some fascinating friends besides Frank Ogberg. Uh, I also met Dr. Porges, Stephen Porges, polyvagal theory. I don't know if you're familiar with that man, but he is like the guru of vagal tone. So he is like parasympathetic system is his playground in the sense that he has figured it out. He has dissected parasympathetic system in fishes, reptiles, and things like that. He is the one who explained in great detail why people freeze with severe stress. So all of that has been like greatly explained by him, which is un unbelievable. Anyway, to give you a direct answer though. So if you take a deep breath and you hold it, which is a big part of yoga breathing, what you're doing when you pull the diaphragm down, you're activating the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is the opposite of sympathetic nerve. So what you're doing, you're trying to calm yourself down. If you think about it, if you're all hyped up, you're breathing fast, right? Number one. Number two, your heart rate is going crazy. When you take, take the breath and hold it, your heart rate, heart rate slows down because the vagus nerve kicks on and it starts to make you calm. And you keep doing that slowly. If you're hyperventilating, you're getting yourself more agitated. So you're 100% right. So you, what you're talking about is a limbic system, which is... It con it's controlled by sympathetic and parasympathetic system. One of the things to think about is meditation is an amazing tool because it's only thing that's been shown to grow brain tissue back. But if the limbic system, which so the sympathetic, uh, so neocortex, which is a new brain, which is where you can do all the advanced thinking, sits on top of the limbic system. 
right? So the limbic system is sitting there, and the limbic if limbic system is not happy, nobody is happy. I have so, a yeah. I have a question, Doctor. Can, can, can I can I go and pause? I have to let my wife in the door. What's okay, go ahead, Jamie? Go ahead, Jamie. All right. I, well, I want to. I have a question for him. Uh, okay, so let something... me put it this way. Let's yeah. try this way. Since he's stepped away for a second, let me yeah. ask you a question, right? Sure. And I have a question for him regarding something you said that you got about your own story. So I, I just don't let me forget it. Okay? No, no worries. No worries. No worries. Okay. Um, so let's then talk about um, connection, right? Because that's what part of it was when I was mentioning my story. When we talk about connection. So for people who are feeling, who are going, who are going through PTSI or are experienced PTSI symptoms, what's Break it down like the, the importance of connection. In, okay, in- okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I think it's a really good lead into the question I want to ask you, Gina, physiologically when he comes back. Okay, um, okay. So I here's physiologically here, came back. Okay, okay. So here's my answer to that question, and then I'd like to, and I'll turn it into my answer into a question for Eugene to expand because it was actually related to what I was about to ask him. So it's a great question. Here's the thing. Uh, if you have this trip in your body, which I did for most of my life until I met Dr. Lipov, okay? Uh, so it d- didn't matter how successful I got, what I did, what I overcame, I had to overcome a lot. Uh, I started to notice it the more I overcame. Because you think, oh, if I just get there and I make it, then I'm going to be feel good. And I made it. And it's not that I felt horrible, but I didn't feel good. And I went, wait, hey, wait, wait a second here. Why did I do all this work if I'm just going to feel uh, like shit, right? Uh, and it was in that study that I came across um, Dr. Lipov. So what I've experienced to answer your question, Zico, is this. When you have this biological injury, it's in you. You're, it's going to make you uncomfortable no matter what you do. You can't out yoga it. You can't out meditation it. You can't psilocybin it. Uh, you can't te- you do weed ravages the brain. Alcohol ravages the brain. Some of these things will give us temporary relief. And then we're right back there because it's a broken leg you can't see. But when what I've found is when you have deep connection, whether to an animal or to a person, it mitigates against that discomfort. It mitigates against that discomfort. And one of the things that I was thinking about when I was listening to you in terms of you as a weight management coach and a trainer and you talking about your own ideation 15 years ago, and I wanted to ask Eugene about this uh, as a doctor, is um, Eugene, so say you have a guy like Zico, and he's 15 years ago, and maybe he's not eating very well, he's got poor gut health, and he's not, you know, slim, I'm not saying you weren't slim, I'm just trying to give an example, but he's not healthy. Calling me fat. Okay? <laughs> yeah, he's not, yeah, he's not healthy, okay? Um, and then a guy like him decides to be take responsibility for his diet. He reads the China study, becomes a vegan, fixes his gut health, works out at the gym every day. If we improve our bodies, we have this broken leg you can't see. Say we're like, we've got a level 10 overactive sympathetic, but we do all this work to improve our physical health. Does improving our physical health help us deal with a, um, a, uh, the, a broken invisible machine, a, a broken leg you can't like, does it help us deal with our, overactive sympathetic nervous system on a day-to-day basis? Thank you. That, that, that was an extensive question. I um, mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm long-winded. Okay. <laughs> uh, talking, yes. Okay. Anyway, let, let me, let me give you a equally long-winded answer. Okay. Definitely. Maybe, but let me give you a little more detail on that. Okay. So as far as the gut and the brain connection, as you were talking about, Zeke, I'm very interested in that. It's amazing. So uh, what's interesting to me is that, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with term fecal transplant. So you can take poop. I'm just, <laughs> okay, sorry. You threw, you threw me off. Yeah, okay. You can take poop uh, from somebody who's not depressed, put it in a depressed person into their colon. And we're not going to talk about how that happens. But <laughs> the depression goes away. It, what's interesting is a lot of the transmitters that control the brain function are from the gut. Also, the fight and flight system is connected to the gut. For example, there was a study out of China where they did stellates, which is a precursor to DSR. And what they found is that ulcerative colitis, which is a problem with the colon, went away. And you can actually reduce the immune system. So the immune 
system is very connected to sympathetic system, fight or flight system. All of that is connected. So the question was, if somebody, you know, basically pushes themselves and they improve the diet, the exercise, exercise produces endorphins. Now you're doing yoga. Now you're doing meditation. All of that improves your status. A lot of people can fix their fight and flight system with that. Absolutely. You don't know everybody needs DSR. Right. I mean, it, I mean, so right now you're fit. You look, if you look at your posture, it's amazing. A lot of the patients that come and see me, their shoulders by the ears. Right. That come in like this and they can't breathe. Right. After the block, right after the block, the shoulders go down. They go, whoa, my shoulders down. I can take a deep breath first time in 20 years. What does that mean? It means they are not in a hiding fight and flight posture. Right. They're relaxed. But does everybody needs a, uh, an injection in the neck? They do not. Exactly. So, Zico, I commend you for doing all of that. But I bet you it wasn't easy in the beginning, right? It was hard to get out of bed. It's like, oh, I don't feel like it today. It's actually I had an interesting experience. I never really had that hard to get out of bed feeling. It was just once my day got going, it was, it was like I questioned everything. Like, why am I here? You know, this just seems on too difficult. Anytime I get into an argument, I would I would go over the top with my energy and my response. Like the slightest thing would throw me off. I'm like, this right. guy's an idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I, I got just like always ready to just fire off those kinds of things. But having that connection, I think when I, people ask me all the time, how did you get over it? The connection I have with my brothers and sisters, knowing that my sister looked forward to me taking her to the to the mall. You know, she was a little, she was, she's a lot younger than me, about 20 years younger than me, but she loved when I took her to the mall and we would play, uh, we would play games and a little arcade and stuff. And she looked forward to that. And I also used to use her to use her to pick up girls, but that's a different story. But, uh, you know, like those things that my brothers who would look forward to me as a guide, because I was the oldest, but I grew up with my, you know, when I was in us, I was with my stepfather and my brothers kind of looked at me as the father figure in a way. So even up to that today, my brothers will call me whenever they're struggling with something and say, Hey, Zico, I need your advice on this or whatever. Those are the things that that connection that I have with them is what's kept me going and keep me going up until, um, to the end. One last thing I'm going to say, cause I don't, I'm not as long winded as Jamie over there, but I'm going to say this, you know, we're just, I'm just messing with them. We're all friends yeah. over here, but, yeah. um, I would say this, that it's, I knew, I always knew I had a bigger purpose. And now this is transformed into counseling people and talking to thousands of people all over the world in different groups, um, having a podcast, one of the top podcasts in the world, having a YouTube channel. And now I'm going to start training people as well. Like I always knew I had a purpose. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I was here for a bigger reason. And that's another thing that keeps me going on a day-to-day basis. So thank you so much. I, I really, I really, I absolutely love this topic. And I'm going to have these gentlemen on for part two. Of course, I'm not wrapping up yet, but everybody know that I will have these gentlemen on for part two because we haven't even scratched the surface. But there's mm-hmm. some things I really want to talk about. Sorry to cut you off there, Jamie, but I really want to take this show into a different direction a little bit because we haven't talked much about the uh, dual sympathetic reset procedure, right? So we talk about the injection, but my question, this is more towards the doctor here. Why why the injection in the neck? Is it because of uh, where the vagus nerve is uh, located? So we are, I stay away from the vagus nerve. So vagus nerve is close to it. So let me just give you a history of where it all came from. And you'll you'll understand it, I think. So um, the reason I got into alternative uses of this procedure compared to usual pain, which is hand pain, was I was taking care of people with hot flashes. And it worked well for them. And, you know, whichever way I got to that. I read an article from Finland where they did, there is a sympathetic fight or flight system in the chest that goes from the chest to the hand. And then people would do clipping in Finland. What's and clipping, Gene? What's clipping? Like a little clip on it, like a surgical clip to turn really? it Really? Okay. Okay. What are they but clipping, though? Go- but what, just so I understand, what are they clipping? Sympathetic chain. Okay. So, so they're... Chain. So they're clipping nerves or they're clipping, yeah, under the clipping nerves. Okay. Okay. And then it took away hand sweats and PTSD stopped. I read that article and then based on that, I was a predict we can do it. So it turns out the nerves from the neck go up to the brain, sympathetic nerves, not vagal nerve, which is parasympathetic. Parasympathetic nerves go from the brain out. 
sympathetic nerves go from the neck back up. So we are selectively, the reason it's really important to do it correctly, and that's where I'm a medical director for Stella, oh, other side. <laughs> so we have doctors, you know, in international doctors where our medical director make sure they do the right thing. Anyway, the idea is you need to place medication on the right nerve with ultrasound guidance. And we are turning off sympathetic nerves for about eight hours. The nerves, if you take a virus that actually can chase nerves around, show you what the connections are, inject in the neck, there is a direct connection to the brain. We're not sticking needles in the brain, of course, but it's interesting. They can modulate fight and flight system by numbing up the nerves in the neck. And we do two levels, and that seems to be a lot more effective. So next follow-up question. So how long does this start? Does it, when does it start to take effect? So a lot of people come out, come out of the procedure, and about 10 minutes, they have a huge smile. And they can take a deep breath, which is probably... Of all the things I have ever done in medicine, that's probably the, by far the most rewarding thing for me. Just to see this huge smile. Some people started crying because I have not felt good for 20 years. And this doom goes away. So what you're describing, Zika, in your, your place, you're describing sympathetic system was overactive. So it's a balance of sympathetic, parasympathetic. Your parasympathetic was probably doing the thing, but the sympathetic was too much. So what we're doing was going... And now parasympathetic goes, oh, I can win. I'm ahead. That means you can sleep, you can digest, you can do all the things, you can be relaxed. And this feeling of doom seems to be the side effect of too much sympathetic system. So before I go to you, Jamie, because um, I have another doc, um, question for you, Eugene, regarding that. So let some people may be listening to this may not be. Of course, I don't think most people are familiar with it, but they may be concerned with like the safety of the of the procedure. So what do you have to say to that? One of the most commonly asked questions. So number one, so I gave a testimony in front of Congress in 2010 about this. So the first time this procedure was done was uh, 1926 for asthma. I personally, the first time I ever did it was 1987. So I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, been safe, thank God. So they were, there was a big study done in Germany. 45,000 stellar ganglions were done, which is a pretty precursor of what I'm doing now. Nobody died, which is important, number one. Number two, they had, I think, nine people had seizures, which they could control, and then pneumothorax, and I think seven people, which is there in the lung. Keep in mind, this is before guidance. So we do our procedures, ultrasound guidance, so I know where the needle is at all times. And then the local, the medication to be is people ask, what are, you, what are you putting in? What kind of drug are you putting in? We use bupivacaine. That's a drug that's used on pregnant women epidurals. So you know it's a safe drug. That drug's been around since the 70s. And we know there's no surprises. The cool thing about what we're doing, there's no surprises when you put local in there. It's been done by people like me for over a century, right? So we know it's a safe, effective procedure by most people's perspective. And because he's using an ultrasound, the risks that were very low that used to be associated with it have pretty much gone away. He's done thousands of these without incident. Ah, that's amazing. And you know yeah. what? I want to talk about one last thing here before we kind of wrap up, because in the book, um, there is essentially, I guess you want to call it a test of um, where you are um, with, uh, with, your, with what you experience throughout the day, right? And I think it's if you... It goes over different scenarios and how you respond to it. Like, you know, are you, do you quickly, uh, do you feel connected? Do you quickly uh, um, respond to certain scenarios and all, all that, right? Anyway, I took the quiz and I score an 11, which is really low, which, which in theory means that my uh, parasympathetic is, is more active than my sympathetic, which I've talked about how I reverse that. But I did a little research, no, I'm sorry, a little um experiment and i said let's get myself back into that mindset of 15 years ago which is interesting because now i can talk about it and it doesn't bother me right i can and i use it to help other people i don't feel stressed or i'm just in a completely different area of my life right now but anyway i tried to whip myself in that mindset and i retook that test and i believe i got like a 41 or 42 meaning that my sympathetic was is was at that time i'm way more active than my parasympathetic which is a sign that I'm, I was 
I was probably struggling with PTSI at the, at the moment, but I didn't know what it was. I was, I was, a, I was a young kid, right? So with, with all that being said, and Jamie, this one is really more for you because in the book, you, ex- you describe your experience when you met, uh, you met Eugene, right? Mm-hmm. So how does it feel to one get to acknowledge, okay, I've gone through this. Um, I, I now I know what I have and then overcoming it. It's such a wonderful question. Um, and you know, what's interesting about it is this, when you go do this thing, the first few months of it are just like, you just go, gosh, I can't believe I'm able to feel this way. And it's not like, it's not a lobotomy. You know, you just feel yourself. You have this thing that's been crushing on you that just goes away. It doesn't change you in any way. I was nervous as an artist that it would like take my angst away or take my, my ability away, but it was the opposite. It freed up my ability. I got better at what I do. Um, and then, you know, three months go by, six months go by and you get used to it and you think, and you almost start to forget the way you were before when you would deal with a stressful situation. And one of the things I constantly do as a practice is remind myself in a stressful situation, I'm like, God, I'm feeling really stressed right now. or I'm feeling pressurized. And then I'll remind myself how I felt before I did the dual sympathetic reset. And go, oh my gosh, you know, I would I would have just been a completely different person in this situation had I not done this procedure. So um I hope that, you know, uh answers the, the question. I mean, it's it's just the difference of there's all these things. You can mitigate against the system being stuck in fight or flight through your health. You can mitigate it through movies, through art, through connection and relationships. Uh all these things will help you deal with it, but you're still just dealing with this injury. Uh, so it's so when you go through it, the injury is gone. So you're not having to constantly cope, which takes so much energy. And that's the best way that I can describe it. And like I said, I, you know, and we say this in the book, and people should read this book. I think Dr. Lipov's work will change the world. Obama endorsed this back in 2008. The military is probably doing 15 to 20,000 of these a year. I, he teamed up with the Stella Center three and a half years ago. They've opened up clinics all over the world. There's now 35 clinics in the United States where you can do this with Dr. Lipov's protocols, which are the only and best protocols in the world. And I think that, like I said, 40 to 50% of the population has this. So one of the questions I always ask myself, Zico, is if it's what I think it is, um, how come everybody isn't doing it? And how come it's not a household name? That's what this book is meant to do, to bring it to plumbers, kindergarten teachers, uh, um, you know, people that would not associate yoga instructors, you know, people that would not associate themselves with trauma. A lot of times people that get into physical health or they get into being a yoga instructor, even though they may not associate themselves with trauma, but they're drawn to these things because it's mitigating against their sympathetic system. So they're just going to be way better as a person if that goes away. You just become yourself. Uh, I mean, this kind of sounds woo, but I, I, one of the things I would like to do, the, the, say to, is I love Dr. Lipov because, you know, what he's done in 20 years is staggering. Right. He took this thing from no one had ever heard of it to the military is using this. They're always the early adopters. You know, first responders are using this. The second largest cohort in the world that uses this is sexual assault victims. And now what we're trying to do with the invisible machine is bring it to everyday people that don't associate with trauma, but have the symptoms that maybe got it from being bullied or some sort of emotional distancing. They know they don't feel right, but they don't think they have trauma. Now that's what the invisible machine, the book does. And so I would love Eugene, one way to uh, to tell the story of Semmelweis, because I think Semmelweis, the story of Semmelweis explains why Eugene, uh, I think will win the Nobel Prize, and he, and um, he will never say that. Uh, but um, you, the story of Semmelweis explains why not every you know everybody in the world isn't talking about this. Gene, yeah, I, I, I'll be brief. Okay. Uh, so Semmelweis was a physician in Austria in I believe 1878. So he came uh, from Hungary to Austria, and he was uh, he finished medical school. And he noticed that when women gave birth in a hospital, the chance of death was three times higher as opposed to when it was done at home. 
and he was trying to understand what that was. So he followed the doctors around. So the doctors uh, delivered uh, in a hospital and nurses delivered at home. So doctors in a hospital would dissect dead people, do autopsies, and run over to deliver the kids without washing their hands because the thought of the day, if it smelled purulent, that's infection. But they didn't know anything about bacteria or anything like that. So he wrote a number of articles and he published on that. And basically, he went to the doctor and said, I don't know what's going on, but if you wash your hands, I think you can save lives. That, that was his premise. So the doctors today were not happy with that. They said, you're calling us dirty. You really don't know anything you're doing. Um, one way or another, they put him in a psych ward, and he was beaten to death one month after being admitted to the psych ward. So 20 years later, Pasteur figured out the germ theory, and Auerkais was uh, hailed as savior of babies 20 years later. So when I was, Jamie, when we originally met, he said, you know, how come you're able to tolerate all this crazy people saying you're wrong, you don't know what you're doing? I said, at least I'm not in a psych ward that hadn't beaten me to death. So it started to catch on at least. So that so basically in, in, in medicine, I think you have to be persistent. Hopefully you're on the right path. That that helps a lot. But I think as more more people have commented on that, I think it's gonna become accepted. The question is how fast, and I think the book will help moving that along. I agree. And I want to add something to that because everything that we've been talking about, I want to tell people one of the things that really made the, the biggest difference to me is that when I started working on my health, I never thought about it as I'm going to do this and I'll be okay. And I've had, whenever I'm taking someone as a client, I have to have those conversations with them and ask them if they're ready. Because if they're thinking, okay, I'm just going to change their diet. I'm going to have them work out and everything is going to be okay then you're not the client for me because that's not what's going to happen. A lot of things that I've done is taken years and I'm still working on it. You know, I, I um, Jamie was talking about he's an artist. Well, what's behind me is my guitar. One of the things I do before I eat is uh, I play music, right? To put myself into a rest and digest state. Or sometimes I may go for a walk and pick up a book. You know, that's why I did today after I ate. And I picked up, I went out to reading a book, of course, and uh, I picked it up and I was kind of walked for like a, a few minutes and read another chapter of the book, right? But walking and getting fresh air and being sunlight also helps with digestion. So even if we're talking about the DSR system and the benefits that it has, you can, like Jamie has talked about, we can incorporate nutrition, we can incorporate getting sunlight, we can incorporate getting fresh air. We talk about depression, for example, is connected to a vitamin D deficiency. And we we have scientific studies that show that, right? So understanding the full aspect of taking care of your health is what this show is about, is about what my work is about, is about what Jamie and uh, Dr. Lipoff work is about, and which is what what we need in today's society. And as like I said, this show can go on forever. We're going to do a part two. But before I get out here, just tell my audience, let them know how can they learn more about your work, how can they get a copy of your book, so on and so forth. So as far as my work, if you sign on to stellacenter.com, you can learn all the basics. You can talk to our nurse practitioners, psychiatric nurse practitioners, who will evaluate the person and see if the right person uh, for this procedure. And we take it very seriously. We evaluate. It's a medical procedure, and we do the evaluation. We do the procedure. I or people are trained, and then we do the follow-up. And a lot of times we do encourage them to do other things we've talked about. As far as the book, I'm going to let Diconist, Jamie Mustard, and like. <laughs> okay, about so, uh, well, you can also, an incredible resource also is DrEugeneLipov.com. Uh, his personal website uh, really is built around his innovation. So I, I, I highly suggest the Stella Center website, but I also highly suggest Dr. Lipov, uh, Dr. Eugene Lipov. Uh, dot com. Um, if you want to look at my artwork and the things that I do, because I talk about art as an amplifier to bring ideas faster in the world. And that's uh, Iconist, I-C-O-N-I-S-T dot L-T-D. If people want to see my art or my art direction. Um, the book, you Google the invisible machine and it's everywhere. It's in Barnes and Noble all across America. It's in every books. Come April 11th, three day. Uh, yeah, it'll be, in, it's in every bookstore in America. And um, 
you can Google the Invisible Machine. It's on Amazon. Uh, there's an audio book uh, coming out uh, shortly. Uh, and so, yeah, it's available. All books are sold. And, and one last thing that I want to say, to the, the main point that I want people to take away from this is, when I met Dr. Lipov, like not long before that, I did not associate with trauma. I wasn't like regularly beaten or abused or in the way I just carried an an unusual amount of stress due to parental abandonment and poverty. Okay. So I did not associate myself with trauma. So I would have, I was never seeking to get sort of some sort of trauma repair that I'd had the symptoms so, since I was so young that um, I didn't even know they were symptoms. I thought this is just me that, that you, you have to feel hyper aroused all the time. You have to feel hyper vigilant all the time. You have to feel anxious all the time. You have to have a sense of doom all the time. That's just being human and being me. I didn't know there was any other way to be. So I just want to, I just want people to understand that this is for the people that are, have had extreme things happen to them, but it's for the other hundred percent of you that are listening to this, that when I say those symptoms go, well, I didn't have trauma, but I have those symptoms. Jamie just said, Go to Dr. Eugene uh, uh, and see uh, and, and, and take the test and see these resources uh, because uh, you can have a whole new life. And on that powerful note, thank you, Jamie, for being here. Um, Dr. Eugene Lipov, thank you so much for being here. I mean, again, we're going to do a part two at some point, maybe later in the year or maybe next year. But this was this is one of the most powerful episodes I've ever recorded. And um, thank you for watching, fam, or for those who are listening on other platforms. And we're out for today. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.